0: This is UMC, Ministry on the Cutting Edge, a podcast of the Susquehanna Conference of the United Methodist Church. Each podcast features leaders from around our annual conference and around the wider connection, sharing innovative and inspiring ideas for ministry on the cutting edge, ideas we're sharing. I'm Kevin Witt, the director of Growing Spiritual Transformational Leaders, and on this podcast, we're talking about how we live as non-anxious, more spiritually centered leaders in times of change.
1: And I'm Kim Shockley, coordinator of Pathways of Spiritual Transformational Leadership. Today we have three persons who intentionally practice non-anxious leadership to help their people and communities move through change. Kevin, would you like to introduce Jack since you have worked together with him in a variety of ways?
0: I'd be delighted. It's great to have Jack here. I'm really excited about that. Jack is the Executive Director of the Bacoma Center and the Minister in Residence for Clergy Excellence with the Peninsula Delaware Conference. He's written a deeply appreciated book on this particular topic, and I've read it. It's been very powerful for me. It's called Anxious Church, Anxious People, How to Lead Change in an Age of Anxiety. Hey, Jack,
2: welcome. Thanks, Kevin. It's great to be here. Thanks, Kim.
1: We also have with us today Beth Jones, who is a, has a prolific background as a leader in a, in a wide spectrum of roles as pastor, district superintendent, and now director of a new cutting-edge form of ministry called Deep Green Journey. We welcome Beth Jones, and we're very excited about having you on today's podcast. Thanks, Kim. It's good to be here. And we also have Jim Van Zandt, who is the senior pastor of Carlisle UMC. He's led three congregations in the Carlisle area into a highly effective merger. Leading this level of change requires a deep centeredness that that inspires people to go beyond what they have known before. Jim, thank you for bringing insights you've gleaned from your extensive leadership experience to us today.
3: Well, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you. So let's jump right into the deep end. I believe our listeners will appreciate hearing more about your experiences as we interact today. Why do you see non-anxious leadership as an important spiritual practice? And where do you see the connection with Jesus and with the broader biblical understandings of discipleship and leadership? Jack, why don't you start us off with that today? Sure.
2: I think being a non-anxious leader is the ability to define your own goals and values and then being able to communicate them clearly to other people. And for me, my relationship with God is essential in that. As a leader, I'm really not trying to decide what I want to do, but what I believe and can discern what God wants me to do. So where is God leading me? Where is God leading us? So that to me makes it a spiritual practice and you know our wesleyan uh, foundations of of the means of grace you know for me it's prayer and meditation and journaling which enable me uh, to get outside of myself and to think about what it is that god wants uh, but then then to somehow internalize that so that i can communicate that as a leader here's where i think um, we are going. And and when I think about Jesus as being a non-anxious presence, as a non-anxious leader, you know, he was the model for us. Uh, one of the things I like to say about a, a non-anxious leader is that a non-anxious leader is able to say what she believes while giving others the freedom to disagree. And, you know, that's the way Jesus was. He, every once in a while, he kind of, you know, Got hard on people, but for the most part, Jesus didn't define other people. Jesus invited people to follow, and and to me, uh, that's how we as disciples are called to lead, and and then God works through us and transforms us to transform the world. So uh, to me, it is all about uh, you know spiritual practice.
1: Awesome. Beth, do you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I I just feel like
4: this is probably a theme that we're going to come back to over and over again about this this um you know this every day this importance of being still with god um because I, I there's 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 no other bedrock below that um you know in, in order you know to 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 you know where wherever we would stand you know i mean it, we we stand on on that time and and um you know i find that for me wow that idea of being an anxious presence of being a, a leader that leads others and and a leader sometimes that has to lead other leaders and model that you know the modeling of that time with god and that and that's that stillness um i think allows us the discipline of of uh, of listening uh you know first and foremost of of just being still you know, stilling our our own hamster wheel in our mind to listen to God, but also just the discipline of noticing, you know, what's going on in me right now. Um, And sitting with that uncomfortableness in God's presence, Mm -hmm. um, I think helps me to own it. And, you know, if, if something's going on, you know, in a particular situation, to be able to sit with that discomfort in God's presence and really name it for what it is, you know, and that opens up, you know, well, why is this, why, you know, it kind of reveals some of the ugliness that that goes on in me. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I can identify it and lay it to the side and say, okay, God, then, then where are you leading me in that? So just that, that stillness with God to me, it's leadership and that stillness just go hand in hand.
1: And Beth, it seems to me that your new ministry deep green journey is all about that, trying to create that for people
4: absolutely. you know, yeah. uh, bringing them into that um that word that i that I learned a couple of years ago, that liminal space um where it, it can be uncomfortable for people because it's just this time of being open and inviting people to notice, you know not not just what's around them in the natural world, but then <laughs> What is going on inside of you and sitting with that and and coming back into, um, you know, quote unquote everyday life with that learning and with that support um, so critical.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Jim, how about you? Where do you see uh, non anxious leadership as an important spiritual practice?
3: Well, I don't think I'm going to say anything substantially different than what we have heard, just confirm it a bit more. I didn't understand that as a spiritual practice. I never thought of it in that kind of way. To me, it was just faith. I'm a pretty simple guy. And uh, I determined long ago when I came to Jesus, either I'm going to live like Jesus or I'm not. Either I'm going to believe God's in control or I'm not. And I've done it for so long that it's just part of who I am. I don't even second guess it anymore. The benefit to me personally is I have a pretty peaceful spirit. I'm pretty content with who I am. I've grappled with that, uh, all the good and all the bad that goes with that. I don't get excited about things. One of the things I often do, um, I found myself doing starting years ago, is whenever I'm in a strange situation, a new experience, and there are many in ministry, uh, my prayerful question is, uh, God, reveal to me what you want me to learn through this. And that has really helped me put things in perspective and calm my spirit. And then I focus on something. I don't focus on the issue. I focus on what I'm supposed to learn, so it changes the, my thinking in a more positive direction than than being consumed uh, by by the issues. The, the, the great thing for me, I seem to be able to do this in leadership. I can't do it for my own personal life sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. But but that has changed over the over the, the years of well. I'm second career to, to ministry. I didn't have a long first career, but my first career, I had a position where I had no supervisory power. All I had was the power of influence, and I knew I needed to learn some things about how to use that kind of power. I never went out intentionally to learn non-anxious leadership. Uh, Honestly, it's just part of who I am. Uh, And this is is something you can't fake. I mean, this has to be authentic, and you have to be willing to be vulnerable in order to do that, which is a pretty scary place for pastors to go. but it's absolutely necessary in order to make this leadership work uh, as far as I experience it.
1: Great. Thank you.
3: Well,
0: as you were, as all three of you were talking, uh, a verse popped into my mind. One of the stories from the new Testament popped into my mind. Um, do you remember the story about bringing the woman who was caught into adultery mm-hmm. that, that story about presenting Jesus with a dilemma? Should we stun her to death or not? And what strikes me about that passage was that he knelt down before he said anything. And he drew in the sand, it doesn't say for how long. And for me, it really is reminiscent of what you all are talking about in terms of trying to get in touch with the spirit before you respond to a situation. And how powerful that sacred space is. And then when he did respond, he responded in such a creative way. It opened people's eyes to something completely different from what they had come with to that situation. Uh, and for me, that, that that's just a, an example of Jesus being non-anxious in a very high pressure situation. Um, and I, as you talked about these things, that's, that's something that really resonated with me as well. Well, these are really difficult times. I, I have said to people more than once that the last few years, and I, I suspect the coming next few years, have been the most challenging of my ministry. There is so much change going on, and there are so many major new dilemmas that we have to figure out how to address that I was never trained for at all. But now we're being asked to lead in the midst of that. Some ministries seem to be able to do that really well. They thrive. And then other other ministries seems to spiral. And other faith communities seem to spiral into anxiety or conflict. Or they just fall into resignation. Sort of a passive, I don't know what to do. So they get paralyzed in a way. And during these times when what we've known before doesn't work very well. There's all kinds of coping mechanisms that people use to try to get through this. And there are a few of those that really make it more difficult than it needs to be. And there are some that are healthy. So I have a question for you. What are some of the aspects of non-anxious leadership that help people find a healthier, more hopeful way forward in times of real transition? When the answers don't work, And what we're comfortable with doesn't work anymore either. So what are your thoughts about the contributions of non-anxious leadership? Jim, do you have any thoughts on that?
3: My first thought is it it helps people regain their footing on faith. Mm -hmm. Because it just boils it down to to faithfulness and trust. Uh, And when you can get people back to that bedrock, I I found that... um, You calm down the noise in their lives. Give them time to listen to the spirit that's always talking to them. And uh, some people, you can almost see it happen to them. You know, just just everything about them changes. And and I think that's one of the the key benefits. I know uh, that's been a benefit of work that I've been, been doing here. It also calls people who may be far apart on the issues to a common denominator that they all share. We're all in the church. We all have faith. You may have different directions you're heading. So it seems to be a galvanizer and a collector of people uh, and then sets up what needs to happen in order to move forward. Thanks, Jim. Yeah.
0: Jack or Beth, what are your thoughts on this?
4: Well, I guess I was, I'm thinking, um, about that question. And I, I think, um, what, what so often happens, I think as leaders, we get, we get caught on this thing. Like we have to have the the right answer. Or we have to do it alone or whatever idea we come up with. It has to be original, <laughs> our, you know, our idea, um, you know, which is all tied up with the ego, of course. And I, I guess I would just say, one of the things that I think I've learned along the way is that, that none of those things are true. We don't have to do it alone. We don't have to reinvent the wheel um, to rely on the people around you the other people that perhaps uh, you find in, in your ministry setting um, that you could call as a, as a team, you know, whether it be, you know, for that moment or for that season or, 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 you know, that are actually, you know, present always, um, and, and to rely on the resources available. And I think, you know, knowing that the pressure is, you know, we, we don't have to carry that all alone. We are then open. Um, I love that story of Jesus, you know, and the, the woman who was caught in adultery because of the creativity that comes out of that, you know, that, that idea of Jesus, Jesus always finds that third way. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that in in this time of the, the virus and how I think originally it was, wow, I can't wait to get back to the way it was. I can't wait to get back to normal. And what's opening up for us is this idea that, you know what, there, there are creative possibilities that are happening that we would have never thought of had we not gone through this time of crisis together. And I think that's true, you know, throughout ministry. This is just more of a heightened, uh, we have more of a heightened sensitivity during this time. Um, But I think for me, like a key aspect of non-anxious leadership is just that 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 vulnerability and that humility that we don't have to go it alone and just to be open to others and, and what can come out of this instead of just trying to grasp and trying to get back to, you know, what are the possibilities and just, you know, working with others to to be open to that is, for me, just a key.
3: Beth, I couldn't agree more with that. A willingness to be vulnerable. Uh, my favorite answer in the, of all the questions going through this merger was, I don't know. But I I would say that and then say, but I know we're going to figure it out. And I told the folks up front, I said, 10% of all the decisions we make are going to be flat out wrong. We're just going to miss, swing and miss. But we're going to get 90% of them right. And then we're going to get a little more right. So I have just found just willing to be vulnerable just really changes the way people look at things when when we are able to give that up so beth right on what you said
4: i love that yeah. word and i hate that word vulnerability <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's it's uncomfortable. Uh, You know, one of the things too is uh, to follow up on what Beth said about not feeling like you have to do it alone. There's a paradox with that, and that is one of the best ways to invite people into the work uh, that you're trying to do collectively is to share your vision, to say what you believe and where you think God is leading. And and sometimes, as Jim says, you don't know. I mean, this has been uh, one of the hallmarks of this this time of pandemic. But but to be honest with that and to say well say I don't know but here's what I'm thinking or here's what I'm um here's what I'm trying to discern the people want to know what the leader thinks. And one of the mistakes I've seen young clergy make is they try to lead by consensus. They try to get everybody together and say, hey, here's what, what, what do we want to do? And that actually creates more anxiety. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being a leader and sharing what you believe doesn't mean you're telling other people they have to do it. Remember, you're giving them the freedom to disagree. I think it's really important to at least Give your thoughts, give your feelings, people want to know, and then you know pre- create that space for the team to work together and to hash through it and to and to battle through what they think is best for the mission that's I think that's some of the best work that we do. The other thing I think is that um, staying connected emotionally is really important and and especially with those who make you most anxious or those who uh, you know, provide the most resistance to what you're trying to achieve, because withdrawing from them emotionally will actually heighten the anxiety in the system and cause dysfunction to to happen all over the place. And and so it, it's really hard. I know that when I'm with people who make me anxious, whether they're, you know, it's somebody on our staff or in the, you know, on our board or in the conference, um, I, I really make a conscious effort to actually move towards them rather than uh, away from them, and and that leads me to the last thing, which is uh, I. When we say non-anxious leader or non-anxious presence, that does not mean we don't feel anxious inside. Um, it, there are many, many times when I'm feeling anxiety in me. And, and you know, Beth talked about having those spiritual practices where you kind of understand what's going on. And, and if you can understand in the moment, then you can regulate that. And so you might be feeling anxious inside, but at least you're not going to blurt something out that's going to make things worse, or you're not going to react to somebody else's attack on you in, in, in a way that's going to make it more difficult to lead rather than to stay connected as a non-anxious presence. So I, those things that I've found have been really helpful to me.
0: That's a very, very different approach than what I'm observing a lot when I watch uh, the news or other things going on, where if you don't agree with me, my goal is to dismiss you, to disprove you. But I hear you saying, Jack, that actually that's a call to a deeper connection with someone. Uh, that is really, really different. And And how do you, what are some of the ways that you keep Emotionally connected with people who may not agree uh, or have different different experience or perspective on on what 's happening
2: well, I, I think um, part of it is just being willing to listen. I think Beth might have mentioned that just being willing to listen to other people. Uh, and hear what they have to say. I, I learned a long time ago raising kids that nobody likes to be told what to do. And so when we try to make this a a, a winner loser situation, you know, my, my political opinion, my theology, my ecclesiology, whatever it is, is right. And if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. And that puts us in a situation where we're automatically uh, fighting. And so, you know, trying to create emotional space where hey, here's what I believe, you don't have to agree with me, um, tell me about what you believe and and uh, this is this has been really helpful to me in leading our ministry through the potential uh, split of the United Methodist Church um, I've, I've worked really hard to uh, cultivate relationships with colleagues to disagree with me and and we you know we have a connection because uh, we have a common ministry that we share in uh, and we we give each other the the freedom to disagree, and so. But listening, I think, is the biggest part of that. If 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 we're not trying to convince somebody else of our opinion, and we just want to hear what they have to say, uh, th- I think that allows us to remain connected.
0: And what and that we- really that really is a big factor in what's going on for us here too in the area of camp or retreat ministry, because the camp or retreat centers are sacred common ground for a wide spectrum of people, and they're they're very different. In many many ways and so it's been very intentional on our behalf trying to maintain the relationships with this great diversity of people that make up the United Methodist Church so that we can love all of them and they can feel a place of welcome in our camper retreat centers regardless of uh, the differences they may have either in perspective or their life journey or uh, their backgrounds uh, so I find that very challenging, but I also find it really exciting, kind of work to be doing. Uh, but listening is such a critical part of that. Any other reflections uh, from others on this particular?
4: I was just thinking, Kevin, as Jack was talking about uh, what what I have learned from others with whom I. I deeply, deeply disagree on a, on a, on a topic. And there's, you know, there's no way either of us are going to shift or change each other's mind. And yet in conversation, what that person's perspective has, has opened up for me or revealed in me that perhaps was missing in, in, in my own spiritual journey um, has been so helpful. So it's, you know, I, I just, I really appreciate that perspective of keeping connected with those that make, up, <laughs> make us the most anxious um, sometimes can, um, you know, not only just pave the way to, to come to a common solution, but also um, really reveal some things in us as well. So I, I just, I appreciate that, that perspective.
1: Awesome. Well, we are, um, want to take a break now to welcome anybody who might be joining us halfway through this podcast. Uh, I'm Kim Shockley working with Kevin Witt, uh, through the Office of Growing Spiritual Leaders. And we have with us today, Reverend Jack Shatama, uh, Reverend Beth Jones, and Reverend Jim Van Zant, all of whom have depth of experience as leaders in times of enormous change. Uh, we're talking about the role of non-anxious leadership as a key spiritual practice for helping individuals, ministries, and the wider society be resilient during uncertain times. And it seems to me that what we've lifted up already is uh, the ability to listen well. Uh, and that that means we, we breed a certain level of trust and um, love with the people that we're working with that helps us to live into this non-anxious presence well.
0: And one of the things that really excites me is that in addition to learning from other resources like books and podcasts and so forth, I think it's really powerful to be talking to people who are actually trying to live this out in real life situations. And so it would be, I think, informative to our listeners and also to their advantage to hear about moments in your own leadership in which you succeeded in being a non-anxious leader and what the benefits were of that, or times when it didn't work out. You You weren't able to live out of that center. And what were some of the the results of not being able to live out of a non-anxious presence. Uh, So I just open it up to hear some real life situations uh, that can maybe provide some insight for the rest of us. Beth, would you, would you share something from your journey either that really worked or something that, that you had wished worked better?
4: Well, I, I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, um, the, the there's two kind of bookends for me and and the the one is um, when, I, when I first uh, began on cabinet um, as a district superintendent, um, I, I, I was so afraid that someone uh, soon would discover that I was absolutely in the wrong place. Um, and I, I, I remember those, those first couple months of just trying to keep my head above water and pretended, you know, pretending that I knew what I was doing. And so, what I ended up doing is, in the midst of of trying to <laughs> live into this role, I put my authentic self to the side mm-hmm. and just worked and worked and worked. <coughs> tried to answer every email and try well, you know, <laughs> tried to answer it well, I should say, and and tried to pretend uh, that I was someone that I really wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I remember. Um, at the time, one of, one of my spiritual disciplines is um, I enjoy trail running. Mm-hmm. And throughout this the first couple of months and into the fall, I would go after work. And that was a good re- relief for me. Um, when, you know, getting into November and December, it was getting dark earlier and earlier. And what was interesting about that is if I was going to keep up this discipline, I had to leave work early. Mm-hmm. I had to leave my desk. And I've I've, I've never, and at the time I didn't have a a cell phone that had all, you know, the gadgets on it. Like I couldn't check my email and all that. So leaving my desk and leaving that behind in order to go running. And it sounds like a, a, a very small thing, but for me, it was a monumental shift because it, it forced me to leave things behind, to leave things undone. And in a sense, leaving behind that charade, that I was trying to keep up. And it helped me to discover that I was bringing all that anxiousness with me into churches, into conversations, to pastors, you know, with whom I was trying to help. And yet feeling like I had to be on top of everything. I was just making every situation more anxious. And so with that shift came a rise in my own authenticity. And I think just that that realization that I don't have to, to know it all, but I can go in just with an open spirit trusting in the gifts that I have, but knowing that nobody is, you know, expecting all of the answers to come forth. In fact, that makes it worse because I'm not allowing others to have ownership in, in the leadership or in that particular situation. Um, So that was for me, an experience of, of, (laughs) <laughs> of not doing it well, you know, of, of, of trying to take it all on. And then on the other side, coming out of, um, superintendency, I was had the opera. I was going to jump right into this extension ministry. Um, but also had the opportunity to work part-time at a, at a church on a team as an associate. Um, so going from, uh, you know, the cabinet at the time, I was Dean of the cabinet to, this this situation where I was beholden to somebody else and on a team, it was a real shift for me. And so I just I thought, you know what? I'm just going to put everything that I have to to bed. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna show any kind of leadership in any way. I'm just going to do what I'm told. And and I realized that that wasn't that wasn't helping either. And soon realized that I could I could use my gifts in a real way. But it was a learn it was a relearning of how to use my gifts on a team and not being, again, not being afraid of that voice, but um, coming in with the gifts that I have and not being afraid to to use them. Um, so I, I really appreciated both both of those learnings in different ways.
0: Well, one of the things that really sparked in me when you were talking there, Beth, is I sort of find myself sometimes living out of two different personalities, which is not helpful. One is who I normally would be. And the other is who I feel responsible to be because I'm part of an organization and I represent an organization. Yes. And I find that very, very difficult. Um, a lot of my anxiety is I, I, I feel like I have to make sure things run really, really well in order to keep the organization in a positive light Yeah. in other from other people's perspective.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, and yet, at the same time I find exactly what you found is that I don't live out of myself. I'm, I'm hesitant. I'm more reserved than I would be. Otherwise I'm less free, uh, maybe a little less happy, <laughs> more controlled. Uh, so I'd be interested if any of you have any thoughts around that, how you've managed that part.
3: Oh, I'll, 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 chip in here. Um, I kind of only know one way to be and it's taken a long time to figure out who that is. So trying to do it two different ways would be (laughs) out of hand for me. Um, I have just found in my life, I just got tired of being anxious. I just Mm -hmm. tired of being worried. Mm -hmm. And the only way for me to change that was to, was in my spirit and, and in my spiritual life and the way I lived it. And, Once again, I just go back to faith. Um, Last I checked, Jesus is in charge of the church in us. Mm -hmm. So the neat thing about the church is even when we truly mess it up, somehow it gets put back together again the right way. I doubt that there's anything I'm going to do that's going to kill it based on 2000 years of history. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. And and that, that comforts me a bit. And I may, and I just know how to how to be me and, and I do think in non anxious leadership though it needs to be consistent and it needs to be almost predictable
0: mm-hmm.
3: to give people a sense of peace about it and, and calm mm-hmm. that that's what, what I've I've discovered as I just as I do what I do uh, um I have, uh, you know, in leading three churches together here, one of the things I needed to do was, and this is piggybacking on what we've already heard about listening. Uh, and so right from the get-go, uh, my uh, my door was always open to everybody. I even published my cell phone number. said, if you've got a gripe, you want to talk about something, call me. And, and I did that and made room for that. And what I found, and I would listen, I'm a listener. So I would listen to what they say uh, and console them. And usually in most cases say, yeah, this is, I'm sorry, you're losing your church. I'm sorry you're alive at this time. I know your parents and grandparents went to this church. It's got to be terribly difficult. It would be for me. And then I'd say, but here's where we're headed. Here's where the new church is going. And I really like you to be part of this as we move forward to try to get them from focusing on the past and start thinking about the future. Um, So I always acknowledge them. And and I did really feel bad because some of them really were either angry or sad or the whole range of emotions. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, see, Jim. Jim doesn't really realize how much he is living out the, this idea of family systems theory that uh, you 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 can only take responsibility for self. You can't fix other people's problems. So, um, but staying connected to somebody by hearing them and understanding their grief and their pain is an essential part of that. And and so it takes those two things: knowing where you believe things should be headed, but also being able to stay connected. Uh, you. Kevin, you mentioned, I think, that camps and retreats are, you either said sacred places or sacred cows. I can't remember in Susquehanna Conference, but... Sacred uh, places. Sacred places. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can be both um, because people identify with a particular site. You know, it's yes. it's really, you know, very, very rarely do people identify with more than one site. And we actually sold uh, our, our retreat center, which was a restored Georgia mansion back in 2005. and And it... It was a sacred place and a sacred cow. Um, you know, my, my wife, we would go on disciple Bible study retreats there together. She loved that place. She was not happy that we decided to sell it. But, you know, we believe God was leading us to sell that and to build a retreat center on our camp uh, site that had 275 acres. So um, that. Created a lot of anxiety in our conference there were There were people who were very unhappy, um, whether they were people who love that place or certain staff members in the conference, um, clergy or you know volunteers and and That was a long process. We made the decision to sell it in two thousand and three. We sold it in two thousand and five. We didn't start building till 2010, and and uh, we didn't uh, occupy till 2011. So uh, Jim probably you know recognizes a lot of that. This is a similar timeline, I think. To you know, your your church is coming together, and you're not even going to get to see the promised land. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's through that process. I think it, we didn't know exactly what we were going how it was going to all lay out. We just felt like, okay, this is what where we think God is leading us one step at a time. I think that's what faith is. And it almost felt like an out-of-body experience that that we were watching God do all of these amazing things, uh, even in spite of us, you know, in us and through us and even in spite of us. And And I think a lot of that is being willing to be vulnerable, but Stay focused, and you know, uh, share what you believe, but s- stay connected to the resistors So, that, I think to me that was that was probably the most prolonged period of uh, trying to be a non anxious presence um, for a particular uh, purpose.
0: Well, Thank um, you. Sure. I, are, are there any other are there any other examples that you'd <laughs> like to lift up for folks?
3: Sure, I have two that are totally not church related. Uh, Senior in college, I worked for the, took a job with the intramural department and I refereed um, ice hockey uh, at Michigan State University and I had the fraternity league. Well, the fraternity league doesn't start till 10 at night. You can imagine what the frat boys were doing before they got to the game. Mm -hmm. But I had uh, a number of partners who worked with me in that and I, I think every game, some, one of them would come up to me. Another referee would come up and say, man, when I work games with you, they're always so calm. How, <laughs> how do you do that? Well, what I learned was, as a referee, you can really affect the tone of the game. And, and, and you know, I learned from that. I also was a, a, a jury foreman in a murder trial. And uh Wow. Mm. I did a lot of praying about, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but my leadership style seemed to work in a way that helped take these 11 other people and help us make a decision, mm-hmm. a decision we need to. And certainly the last one of the the work here at Carlisle, um, I realized looking back at all of the other experiences and appointments I had really led to this this moment in time. And helped me to understand uh, that I've always understood this journey that I am on is is my journey. That's the most important thing to me. Not getting to the promised land of the completed church was never the important important thing to me. The important thing to me was about me being faithful to what I believe God had called me to do. And that's how I've always judged my success. I haven't put it against any other standard at all. And that has helped me stay calm mm. through it all.
1: Thank you for sharing these awesome stories and examples of uh, non-anxious leadership. I, I keep going back to this image in my head that I uh, gleaned from a book, uh, Switch, Several, several years ago written by Chip and Dan Heath. And they, they uh, provide this wonderful image that we all carry within us. One is this uh, big elephant that represents our kind of emotional stuff and the way we respond and react to things emotionally is the elephant. And we each have this little rider, this little monkey that sits on the elephant that is our thinking, ability and our, our uh, how we manage things. And so we kind of uh, see ourselves both as the elephant and the little monkey rider. Uh, but the whole idea of the non-anxious leadership is that the monkey has a little bit more control over the emotional stuff. Um, and I hear that in your stories, that that you're, you're you find ways to use that intentional non-anxious leadership, whether through your prayer life, through your questioning, through your listening, um, that helps us to manage uh, the emotional reaction to life. Um, But we know that there are times in the work that we do when the elephants are running amok. And the emotional stuff with everybody else uh, really gets to be difficult Um, So some of our non-anxious leadership principles have really strong benefits uh, in situations where, you know, the emotions are running high and and the behaviors that uh, come from that are really difficult and some of the behaviors that we have to deal with in local church life uh, when people expect leaders to solve their problems for them, Uh, When when there's blaming and resistance and withdrawal or even sabotage, I've I've been with a lot of churches and help them understand what sabotage looks like in the life of the church. Uh, Triangulation is another big thing where um, I try to get you to fix this other person. Um, That's that's. Uh, an incredibly emotional um, reaction to things um, like in Jim's situation where we're longing for the past or there's pressure to conform to the new thing. And a, a big part of what I've helped churches do over the years is how they, how they react to, the re, to others' emotional responses to new vision. And where are we going and, you know, what's the anxiety that comes when we don't know where we're going or when we're going where we're going isn't here yet. (laughs) These are all things that cause that elephant to kind of run amok in the life of the church. Um, So does any of that sound familiar to what you've been uh, dealing with in the life of your leadership? And uh, how does the non-anxious leader help you have better uh, approach? To dealing with these big emotional places, yeah, I think for me
4: that somebody told me early on, especially um, well, in, in any leadership position where people are are reaching out to you, but especially, I know uh, somebody said when I went on cabinet, they said um, every time you pick up the phone, uh, you're going to be triangulated. <laughs> so it was kind of that uh, unless it you know unless it was a good friend or something, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> it's calling a pastor, calling. Because it's usually about a situation or about someone else. And the request is to fix this uh, instead of instead of uh, oftentimes instead of me. Um, and so that idea of being caught in the middle. And um I just I remember just some real sticky situations of you know having to go in and having to uh, remove pastors from from a church and and folks not understanding you know and not being able to share with them the full reason of why that had to be um, and just that intense pressure of come and fix this come and do something to make us feel better and and the reality was there there was no fix it there was no way to to make that situation better other than being that that peaceful presence and trying to maintain that idea that um, you know you're you're not as as a leader not a part you know you're you're really not a part of the the issue you're trying to to help people express and and live into and and really live through um some of this anxiety and to not pack it away um but to be able to express it express it fully and I think that's that idea of that um one of my favorite guys, Richard Rohr, talks about non dualistic um, presence, you know, being non dualistic and, and just allowing for that and recognizing where you are in the midst of the right or wrong, left or right, you know, people are taking sides and just to, um, to allow people to, to live through that and to express themselves and to be in that place with them, but to not get drawn into um, the fix it mode so I was really drawn into that idea of you know triangulation. Um, that's one of the hardest things because again, you want to be valued, you want to be loved, you want to be the fix it person. And sometimes there is no answer and or not right away anyway. The answer comes in living through um, the difficulty, and the answer will come from the people involved, not from not from you, so right.
1: And then we go back to Jim's prayer. What do you want me to learn through this? You want me to learn this? And then the more we can help others have that prayer as well, the sooner those non-fixable things get to resolution. Sure.
2: Yeah. I think following up on what uh, Beth was saying, the, the thing that's helped me the most in all of, all of these it, <laughs> things that uh, Kim has mentioned is uh, to realize that I can only take responsibility for myself and I, I can't take responsibility for others. So just as Beth is, you know, as a DS, I'm sure everybody wants you to fix their problems and you can't. Or, you know, when Jim was talking about the, the uh, congregants who uh, were grieving over a merger and, you know, you, you you can't fix it for them. That's That's their problem that they've got to grapple with. And to the extent we try to fix it for other people, we actually do them a disservice because we, we allow them to avoid facing that. And, and, you know, it's, it's a form of grief, really. Um, Whenever there's any change, it's, there's loss. And in that loss, there's grief and, and being able to work through it actually makes us stronger and uh, more into more emotionally capable people. And, and so, you know, if we can just take responsibility for self and not other people, you know, and, and if we can define ourselves, then not other people, you know, blaming is a form of defining somebody else. Mm-hmm. We're, we're telling someone else that be, you know, we're blaming them for our situation. We're blaming them for the way we feel. And, and so, you know, th- these are all, I think, manifestations of, of people just struggling to cope with, with things that make them uncomfortable, struggling to cope with anxiety, and in general, we're not very good at it as human beings. And as leaders, if we can, if we can not take those things on for other people, we actually help them to grow stronger. I think you know that's what I've learned. So.
0: One of the things that I would really like to hear a little bit more on, because I, I, um, I struggle sometimes with not taking on other people's stuff, and at the same time not wanting them to leave because some of these issues are so strong that people take the stance, either it's going to work out this way or I'm not going to be a part of it. So you had talked earlier, Jack, about trying to stay emotionally connected with people. They're going through really tough stuff. And one of the most difficult things for me, and maybe this is just my makeup and the way that I'm designed, but uh, community is so deeply important to me to to imagine people leaving over an issue creates in me such a deep sadness and loss that that's a point at which I struggle. You know, I, allowing them to take responsibility for their own decision, allowing them to choose if they don't want to be here, and yet going through my own personal loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, while people are making choices like that. Um, And I, I really, it's such a core value for me that I would not choose being right over being together.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, So that's
3: tough.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, I, one of the things that I find helpful is to just remind myself, well, the more I try to convince them to stay, the less likely it is they will stay. And, and because they're just going to push back. I, uh, there's a great story when I was uh, being taken into a congregation back in 1996 and they told the, the SPRC that I had an earring and one of the women on the, in the SPRC just was livid. Like we are not going to have a pastor with an earring. If we have a pastor with an earring, I'm leaving the church. And one of the saints of the church sitting next to her, looked at her and said, well, we'll miss you. <laughs> and, and to me, that's, you know, when, when, We face this, you know, my, my principles that I work with, I'm a simpleton is don't argue, don't agree, stay connected. And that's exactly what this woman did. She said, you know, she expressed her disappointment. Well, gosh, I'm going to be, we're going to miss you if you leave, but we're, that's your choice. If you want to leave, that's your choice. And so that, that has always stuck with me as a way to kind of think about, um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to see people go either, but I, I, you know, I can't decide for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't
3: agree more, uh, Jack, what you said there. And, and Kevin, you and I are would be opposites on this <laughs> issue. Uh, <laughs> um, I hear people what they have to say, but I refuse to let people hold the church hostage from moving forward. And um, I don't have a problem saying, gee, we're sorry, we're going to miss you. I'd love to have you, but wish you well, um, because because I think there's a bigger mission we're called to do. And secondly, they make room for the new people who do buy into the mission. It, I have just had too many examples of trying to satisfy somebody to stay until the next issue, until the next issue. And that is that will wear you out. Uh, yes absolutely i once knew of a pastor who carried around transfer forms in the back seat of his car (laughs) (laughs) i wouldn't go that extreme
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny jim thank you so much and but i know there are other pastors who who deal and respond to people uh in in a similar way that that Wanting to be together is so crucial. And sometimes it takes that, you know, you have to back up and look at it from a different perspective to say, you know, where, where's the harm? You know, what is the harm that's being done here? Is is their behavior manipulative? Is it sabotage? I mean, is this done in on purpose in order to get their own way? And sometimes you have to back up and give, that's the drawing in the sand time. <laughs> For the clergy person to be able to say, what's really going on here and, and where are we doing harm? And sometimes cutting them loose and allowing them to leave is the healthiest thing for the church. Yeah.
0: And I find, I find sometimes that um, it's, it's a little easier when you can see that somebody's just trying to control or manipulate mm-hmm. the situation. It's more difficult in times when people are genuine. Yeah, and they're not they're not trying to create harm they just cannot see themselves in the new thing that's developing or they cannot see themselves being a part of something unless it lines up with with what i would say is a true core value that they have um that's that's the more difficult scenario for me beth you were going to say something i'm sorry to
4: Oh, no, it's it's very much along the lines of what you were saying, Kevin, that sometimes um that that's when it becomes most difficult, that it's it's really not a, a matter of, you know, trying to uh create division or harm, but that's just where their heart is. And sometimes their their decision to leave is the healthiest thing for them because then that puts them on their own path of healing, you know, whether to to return again to that faith community or maybe to lead them on someplace else. Um, and to not interfere with that. And that is the hardest thing because we want to believe that their place is, is here with us, you know, that's
0: natural. Well, we're coming to the close of our podcast today, but I wanted to give each of you the opportunity to share any other thoughts that you might have that we, we didn't address or that you wanted to go a little bit deeper into uh, as we come to the end of our podcast. Any additional thoughts that you'd like to share?
2: Well, I think one thing I want to just point out is at least my understanding of family systems theory and learning to be a non-anxious presence is that for most of us, this does not come naturally. Uh, It it is based on uh, Murray Bowen's uh, uh, theory of family systems. And Bowen believed that the best we could hope for was to be uh, self-differentiated, to be a non-anxious presence about 70% of the time. And most of us do it 50% or less. So I think Jim is an outlier. It comes more naturally to Jim, but for the rest of us, we're, we're actually doing it uh, only half the time, at, you know, on average, and maybe a little bit more than half the time. So my experience has been, it's a life's work. I encountered family systems theory in 1991. I have been, you know, working at it for almost 30 years now and, and getting better at it. But you know, there's, it's like, like Jim said, it's a journey and uh, we're never going to get there until uh, God brings us home. And uh, then I think we will be. So,
0: Thanks, Jack. Any, anything else, Beth or Jim, that you wanted to, to share?
3: Uh, just words of thanks. Um, thanks. Uh, uh, thanks for doing this, uh, Kevin, Kim, putting this together for your podcast Uh Uh, Learned from Jack and Beth today. Um, I really appreciate that. I I honestly feel that this has been very valuable just for me personally. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Jim.
4: And I I would just, just um, the learning, the importance of um, having other places where you can, can be fed and filled. That um, I think many pastors, myself included, you know, we go into ministry um, wanting so much to be a part of people's lives and to help and to solve and to, you know, and um, realizing that 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 can be quite a drain. And so just finding that balance of time and life um, just helps us all to be better leaders, especially in those times when others are pulling us to work more. Um, to really find that balance is so important. But um, but thanks so much for uh, letting me be a part of this today. It was great to listen and to learn and to uh, to be a part of this uh, this podcast. So thanks.
0: Well, thanks to all of you as well. And I would just like to let our listeners know that there's a upcoming podcast and you'll have a chance to engage with some other leaders who are trying to practice in their area of expertise as well. So the next podcast is going to be on stewardship and generosity with Scott McKenzie and Victoria Rebeck, who is the director of connecting ministries is going to be the moderator for that particular podcast. So look forward, look for that coming up soon. And uh, I would like to close this all in prayer and then we'll end the podcast. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be the kind of leader that stays centered in love is connected even in conflict the kind of leader who is growing not only in our responsibilities uh, in the organization that we lead whether that be a church or another ministry or elsewhere uh, but also in our own families and we we pray that we can bring this spiritual centeredness non-anxious leadership to our homes and to our friendships and to the wider world as well as our workplace. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks, and uh, we thank you for each other in this great conversation. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next time, everyone. Thanks for joining in.